listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's gonna be scary. Not for us. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast, presented by Clutch City Control Room, your home for all things Houston Hoops. I'm today's host, Britt, and you can find me on Twitter at Britt Robotista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. Be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room Twitter account at Clutch City CR, as well as hitting that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Today I have on the podcast Esku, a Houston Rockets fan, and he's also a huge sneakerhead. We were going to talk about sneakers, and I hope to have him back on the show in the future to do just that. But several breaking news stories have gotten in the way of that, namely the hiring of new Rockets head coach Steven Silas, as well as the news that former Rockets general manager Daryl Morey has now joined the 76ers in a sort of role, um, not GM since Elton Brandon will be there, but we'll talk a whole lot more about that during the show. But first, I wanted to hear from Ezeku about his background. My name is Ezeku. A lot of my friends and family call me David. Uh, I'm originally from Houston. Uh, I became a Houston fan by no choice. I was born into it. <laughs> uh, the thing is, is that, you know, when you're Nigerian and you're born within the early 90s, me specifically in 91, you got to see Akeem dominate. And as a Nigerian and your family sees it, it's like, you know what? You're going to pick athlete. You should be like him. He's, he's a standard. And um, obviously, I wasn't that old enough to remember everything. However, uh, there's pictures of me at the parade. I've been to a Rockets game when they're at the Compact Center. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have the old T-shirt, you know, the, 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 the blue one. It was like when we had the blue jerseys with the... Uh, Oh, the, the um, PJ, <laughs> the PJ jerseys. Yeah, the PJs, you know, I, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say like, you know, what they called the rocket then, but you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah. But um, I had that one. And funny enough, that's my favorite jersey from them. So, mm. I mean, you could tell me I have trash taste, but I don't care. It's my opinion. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was a huge Rockets fan then, and um, obviously when I moved to New York, I had to deal with being a Rockets fan and understanding that people think that the Rockets are an irrelevant franchise, even though the Knicks are trash, and they've been yeah. trash for over a decade. So I was flying that Houston Rockets flag high from back then and got to see Yao and T-Mac die multiple times over and over, mm. and then up to where we're at, where we're constantly riding the highs and lows of the franchise, but that comes with it. But yeah, I'm a big fan of basketball, not just the Houston Rockets, and I play a lot of basketball also. 
That's awesome. And I wish that we can get more into it. I definitely want to get you back on the show so that we can talk about that in more detail. But I feel like the huge bombshells that Woj has lodged across the um, ESPN um, tower to Rockets land and the NBA in general are probably a little bit too big to ignore for much longer. I mean, who doesn't love a watch bomb? (laughs) I don't think anyone does unless it's something that is negative towards your team and then you um, absolutely probably don't like it. But I think the biggest thing, um, I was um, initially thinking about talking about this in chronological order, but this is a Rockets okay. podcast, but so I want to talk about the positive first before we get into the other news that we'll talk about a little bit later in regards to former GM Daryl Morey. But I think okay. the positive news right now is that the Rockets, after just over six weeks of a long coaching search has now found their new head coach, and that is Steven Silas. Um, Ezeku, if it's cool with you, I'm going to give a little bit of background, and then I'll get your thoughts about that. Um, Okay, no problem. Yeah, so I did a little Twitter research um, before the show, in between the time that I was working and doing a few other things and Steven's um, background is pretty comprehensive. He's an NBA lifer. His father, Paul Silas was a longtime player and coach himself. He played for our Paul Silas played for the 76ers before going into coaching post-retirement. And, uh, and there was an article that Paul um, Fannery um, wrote a couple of years ago about Stephen Silas, and he mentions that um, extensively, that his father was a great influence. Um, Stephen himself has been a coach in the NBA, a coach and a scout for the last 20 years. He started in 2000. Most recently, he was in Dallas as the head assistant coach for the Dallas Mavericks, but he's also... Um, and some of his stops have also included Charlotte and Cleveland. Um, most notably, he was the development coach for a young LeBron James. So the first couple of seasons of LeBron James's career, he was development coach there. Um, he also was a development coach for Kemba Walker. He was there from two, uh, for at the Charlotte Hornets from 2010 to 2018. Um, so he was there for most of Kemba Walker's, you know, experience until the last couple of years, you know, before he left or Kemba left as well as Steven. And then the last two seasons, so 2018 through 2020, he was the development coach um, or the head assistant coach for the Dallas Mavericks. And um, according to reports, he had a lot of influence in Luka Doncic's um, development, especially in the last year or so. Um, He's also credited for being the primary innovator for the offensive scheme of the Dallas Mavericks, um, just to note that they overtook the Houston Rockets for the highest average um, offensive rating in NBA history last season. Um, And he was definitely credited by a lot of sources as being the innovator for that. Um, And I I think, I I don't think any Dallas fans are listening, but for those who may be listening, Luca is a clone of James Harden. I'm sorry to say, um, but you know the positive of no, that there's is there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> say that with your chest. There's nothing wrong with that. Luca is a clone that. of <laughs> James Harden, and because of that, you know, Stephen Silas the last couple of years has worked with Luca and 
sort of molded molded him in a way that parallels James Harden significantly. Um, Luca has even credited James Harden with a lot of his move set. So it, it seems like a very logical conclusion to bring in a coach that had you know influenced. Um, Carlisle, who, you know, is a NBA champion himself, to change his philosophy to something that was more like the Rockets of the last decade. Um, I'm just very excited about it. Um, but before I continue on, Ezekiel, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, this is, this is what you want. This is what you have wanted. Um, before anybody says anything, we have to also add in that he was a finalist in 2016. Mm-hmm. It was between him and uh, Mike D'Antoni, but um, the previous owner, Les Alexander, uh, chose Mike D'Antoni instead. Um, and at the time, I was with it because James Harden needed at least, like, let me not say a legacy coach, but at least a notable coach. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, I mean, Mikhail, his coaching was pretty bad. Yep. It used to give me an aneurysm when I used to watch games. <laughs> um, I used to yell and scream and shout. I mean, but I, I give him a lot of credit for the fact that he he was able to get the team dialed into play at times, even though the wheels fell off the wagon. Um, but more on to Silas. Um, Silas is a great coach. Um, his offensive rating, when I last checked, was uh, for this t- for this year, was one sixteen point seven, which is, I think, is the highest. I think the only person that was to, the only team that was a rival was the Golden State Warriors and Houston Rockets. Mm. Um, his offense will be something closer to that um, familiar but different, and um, with especially with five out, uh, we were running five out this season. Well, at least half the season when we traded out Clint Capella and we went small. And, uh, you know, there's some similarities, but then the the main difference that we will see here with Silas is that um, there's going to be more ball movement and it's going to be a return to familiarity of that 16 year when we had 16, 17 year when we just got um, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. There's going to be a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of spacing. And um, I honestly think it's going to work. Um, I think at this point is just that Mike D'Antoni was, as much as you can love the man, it was, it was just time for him to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more, I, I, I guess the term I would say is more, I was more optimistic about D'Antoni's chances at least of getting one more season. But I, I think considering that they have brought in a, you know, younger coach who has a similar philosophy, but maybe more willing to be more flexible when it comes to late game situations. Um, this is probably the best case scenario when it comes to this team. Um, and although um, I mean, I, I know a lot of folks had some, um, you know, very passionate feelings about D'Antoni. I, I think that, um, like you said, he definitely was fundamentally the best coach for Harden at this time. And I'm hoping that Steven Silas, you know, 
has the ability to sort of mold um, Harden and Westbrook in the next, you know, I guess this next stage of their career. I won't say that they're in like their decline. I don't think we saw any of that whatsoever last season. <laughs> um, right. Even you know Westbrook, which I know folks have mixed emotions about. He had really don't even get me started about that. <laughs> I think that's going to be the part where like we'll have to talk about in a later segment because mm. I'm trying to hold back, not trying to give too much away about how I feel about all of this. Because I feel like it all ties into the last segment. Um, but, like, honestly, um, I think this team will work because, um, especially if Jeff Hornacek comes into play mm-hmm. as a system, because um, Jeff Hornacek didn't just coach two point guards. He coached three mm-hmm. on one time. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember that Phoenix Suns team that had the Bledsoe, Dragic, and um, Isaiah Thomas tandem? Yep. Yeah. Now, it was a walking disaster, but <laughs> let's not think about that. Let's think about what happened the year before. The year before, they were a surprise team, and Bledsoe and Dragic were running pick and rolls and running basically five out themselves, in some cases four out. And they were killing teams, just slashing the rim and getting to the rack at will and just taking advantage. And I think with Silas here, with the spacing, Russ might actually be utilized as like a super Draymond. It could work, but what they need, especially if we're going to run five out, we need a center that can space the floor so that he can operate in a Draymond-like function. Yeah, and um, I mean, I've, I'm a little bit more hesitant about going away from small ball per se. Um, but I do agree that there needs to be a center in some sort of aspect. And, you know, you mentioned Jeff Hornacek. Um, that actually comes up to my second point that I wanted to talk about is some of the assistant coaching rumors. Um, besides Jeff, Nate McMillan, who's the former Indiana Pacers head coach. Um, you mentioned Horacek, who used to be the next head coach most, most recently, but then also was in Phoenix, like you said. And then surprisingly, yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. You know, we had a raw deal in New York. I no, I a thousand percent agree with you. That was a really messy situation, and ugh, um, I, I don't think he had a any sort of shot. But uh, and that's what I'm hoping won't happen to the Rockets eventually. But we can talk about that in the second segment. Um, right. Go ahead. I mean, I like. I mean, I like Jeffrey. I really like him a lot offensively. And as for Nate McMillan, kind of iffy about him. Um, his offensive sensibilities is like from the stone age. He's not really, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who's made Miles Turner look like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And now like the team doesn't even know what they want to do with Oladipo, who was a top 15, top 20 player because of the way he plays. He plays as if it's in the nineties. They have a really slow pace. They don't like shooting threes, even though they have um, a bunch of shooters. Um, it's weird. Um, I think he got a raw deal also with Indiana because he always constantly overachieved, but you know, you can't blame, you can't blame ownership if ownership has a bunch of talent and you're not using it. And, um, I think Nate will be great as a coach. I mean, he's what Houston needs for defensive sensibilities. His teams have always constantly been the top 10 range 
He's constantly overachieved, but he's also a hard-nosed guy. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who would chew people out. And for all the people that feel that Houston lacks um, accountability, yeah, yeah disability or accountability, he'll be the one that, you know, he will love, he will love to chew out James Harden and Russell Westbrook when out of position defensively or when Russ does something that everybody says, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, so he would definitely be that guy, but I just hope he doesn't have much input offensively. And I wonder, will he actually adjust to like switching? Because mm-hmm. James Harden is not a bad defender. He's okay. He's average. You know, there's he's nothing improved. wrong with that. Yeah, he's he's improved. You know, I don't like I was one of the people that was saying that James Harden plays defense. It's just that he gets lost on backcourt. And everybody was like, no, he sucks. And he's just like, okay, whatever. But he's really good at, um, at, at deflections and steals. He's the number one um, uh, under-the-rim under defender against mm-hmm. bigs. He's, yeah, post-up defense, he's really good. I mean, the problem is, is that if we're going to play man-to-man, where does that leave James and where does that leave Russ? Because Russ's problem on defense is that he is not that he can't play defense. He's always breaking the chain of defense. And this is like my mentality on that, on defense. It's not so much that you need lockup players. You just need players to know their place on defense. And it was one of my biggest issues I used to have with uh, Patrick Beverly was that he prided himself about being Mr. 94 feet. But when every elite point guard came through and he's, breaking the chain of defense, like going over further than where he needs to be, mm-hmm. that point guard would just look at him, laugh, and blow past him. And then he would have to foul them. Yeah. And Russ has a tendency of doing that. He doesn't go 94 feet, but he plays over aggressive defense, which leads to a blow by. Mm-hmm. And then if you're playing man-to-man, then how are you going to switch to compensate for that? And James is t- James at 6'6", 225 is too big to be moving fast enough laterally to be you know guarding guards so mm-hmm. that's why you switch them on bigs so it's it's gonna be weird but um i have faith yeah and i think the other positive that you know they're saying that they're gonna bring in nate is that they're wanting to also consider the defense as well I, I think that you know I agree with you that his sensibilities on offense can be um, antiquated <laughs> if I'm going to be nice about it but uh, is being too nice yeah <laughs> it probably is but I think in general if he's there to bolster the defensive capability of the team because we have seen and it's there if they want to lock in they can lock in and during the seeding games and during parts of the playoffs they were they had some of the best defense that i've seen from them you know since the 17 18 season um oh, so they that, yeah i love that team that was a team full yeah. of football players they're just hitting people with the stick they were not caring mm. that's what we need to return to we need to yeah. return to that dog fight mentality it, I agree. And I I think that's why bringing Nate in as an assistant coach where he can focus and help them um, improve on the defensive end while Silas is, you know, continuing on and um, I guess uh, um, are changing up what, 
you know, the existing process is, but still keeping in mind the things that they want, that would be almost a perfect match. I didn't think about Nate McMillan as a potential possibility, but if he's willing to come in as an assistant coach, it seems like, you know, especially more recently, uh, you know, several teams, the Clippers, the 76ers, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the second segment, um, and a few other teams have been bringing in big name former head coaches to, you know, sort of, you know, support the, um, you know, the main head coach in that you know, in that franchise. And it looks like Houston is going down that path as well. Um, and I hope that they do um, hire McMillan and Hornsack. And one of the other things before we um, end the segment is that one of the other surprising names that came up as a addition, a potential addition, because all these are just rumors and speculation, um, is Rafer Austin, um, st- skip to my loo. <laughs> I don't need I don't need N one mixtape right now. We just we just need normalcy, okay? Like we just need normalcy. Perhaps, um, but if he's working as a scout, especially there's some rumors that John Lucas may be promoted at um from his development role to a assistant coaching role. Um, so if he, if Rafer is working as a player development coach, the one thing oh, okay. that you know for what you know. However, you may think of Rafer's um, teardrop. It, he was consistent with it, and that's a mid-range skill that the Rockets have been lacking the last several years. So right. it'll be I, interesting to see how, if he does be, um, become a member of the coaching staff here. I guess my skepticism on it is just like, why couldn't we just get better assistant coaches? <laughs> I mean, this is, it's not like it's bad. But it, 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 you know, we had to pick the litter by fire by being one of the first people to fire their coaches, mm-hmm. and it took so long. I mean, but I, but Nate and Jeff Hornacek's not bad, but you can clearly do better. You know, you could have Kenny Atkinson at one point. You could have had Ty Lue to, well, Ty, yeah, Ty Lue became back as a no. Ty Lue is now coaching. Where is he coaching? The Clippers. He's coaching the Clippers. Like you could have had a lot of assistant coaches or prior assistant coaches, but like they took so long. Is that now? It's not the bottom of the barrel, mm-hmm. but it's not what you had hoped. But I do think this this is fine. This is fine. I just know Houston Rockets fans wanted. They wanted, you know. potentially more yeah and I agree with you especially when it comes to assistant coaches that you know potentially one of the reasons why we weren't able to get the you know the top name assistant coaches is because of what we're going to talk about in the next segment um which I guess will I can use as a segue so in the next segment we'll talk about the other headline news of today which is Daryl Morey um going to the 76ers so we'll be back in a moment And we're back here at the Launchpad, presented by Clutch City Control Room. If you're enjoying this show, please do us a flavor and drop a review or leave us some stars on whatever podcasting provider that you're using right now. I think, uh, as a coup, we mentioned in the, you know, sort of hinted in the last segment that there were multiple <laughs> woge bombs that detonated today. We <laughs> had news that Daryl Morey shortened his um, family time off 
to join the Philadelphia 76ers. It sounds you mean so as voluntary firing? Yeah. <laughs> firing. However, he wanted to define it as his um, exodus from the Rockets to spend some time with his family for about a week and a half to join the Philadelphia 76ers, likely as a similar role that um, David Griffin has in the New Orleans Pelicans as a president of basketball operations. That sounds like what the rumors are. He can't officially sign until this weekend um, because he's still under contract with the Rockets. Um, but let me stop jabbering. Um, Azaku, what are your um, feelings about his, um, or I guess, departure from the Rockets and arrival to the 76ers? Good God. I just realized that he's getting paid by two franchises. Shout out to him. Keep getting them <laughs> checks. Well, um, Keep getting um, them checks, man. Yeah, honestly, based on some of the stuff I read, most likely he will, um, the 76ers will take over his contract. So um, whatever, I think there was about three years left in his contract. The Sixers will most likely take um, over the vast majority of that. And Tillman will not have him under contract after this weekend once the ink is dried well this is a w for him he got fired <laughs> got a better job within like a month like he's no longer gm he's the president yeah it's wow. it's interesting um i i guess the times are very interesting right now um but um as for the 76ers i mean people i have a friend that says he was he was so upset it's like no we're going to shoot a bunch of threes. Uh, we're going to, I was just looking at him like, you know, stop it. You know, there was a reason why that he was doing that. Uh, not that I agree with it, which I'll go expound on later, but let's talk about now. I think it's a great hire because um, what is their general manager's name again? Elton, Elton Brand. Brand. Okay. Yeah. Elton Brand is, if nobody knew this, he was, besides the fact that he was an all-star player for the Clippers, he's also from Philadelphia. He's born and raised there. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, when the NBA used to do these uh, documentaries, like short little documentaries on NBA TV, they talked about his origin story, how he got to the NBA and how like his, uh, I think it was his uncle, his uncle would visit him every single time he had a away game to the Philadelphia or at least the East Coast. So um, he is not, I don't think he's, like, you know, like a Vladi GM or a Magic GM, a guy who just got the job because he has a, you know, he was, he has a nice name. He actually studied under, he was actually in the 76ers front office for a while and learning the ropes um, before um, the original burner guy got kicked out. Yeah, oh, Cal <laughs> Brian Colangelo. Yeah, Brian Colangelo, you know. I could go on him for hours about what he did to the Raptors, but that's, that's for another day. But um, I think a lot of his deals have been placed from two positions, mm -hmm. a guy who has been in the NBA as an all-star and a guy who is from the hometown and wants to win. Like, you know, there's a lot of like pressure and anxiety to to make sure you win like you mm. know think about larry bird when it was on the pacers and how that almost stressed that man out mm. just the paul george trade made him step down because he didn't want to trade paul george so you know 
a lot of the trades that he made were short-sighted and on paper it looked amazing, but then you got to see them and you realize like the synergy doesn't work. They play amazing defense, but they cannot score for a lick. You know, they lost Jimmy Butler in free agency. Uh, they just, they were a mess. Um, but I think Daryl being there would help. You know, he's going to go there and he's going to drain the swamp. Oh, God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> but, but he's going to he's gonna go there and he's going to make some changes. And because Daryl's not a president and he has a guy being next to him, a basketball guy being next to him, I think it would help because Daryl will no longer, you know, push saber metrics for every decision he makes. There'll also be the checks and balances of Elton Brand saying, well, I don't care about this. I care about what this player does. So more can actually focus on helping wheel and deal players. Mm-hmm. Coach. I don't remember who their coach is. Oh yeah, it's um, Doc. You yeah. can work with Doc to go get the players and synergize them and get them out there. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think that you're exactly right. If I'm going to take off my Rockets Homer hat for a second and, you know, put on my, you know, imaginary 76ers hat that I was thinking about switching teams for for about you know, two or three hours, if I'm going to be Listen, honest. I kind of, Listen, I went to school at Temple, so we used to get tickets for free mm. when they're do- trusting the process. So I can, I can also join you on that bandwagon too. I almost thought about it, but then I remembered that Philly's, Philly, Philly, Philly's not for me. I hated that yeah. place every <laughs> single minute of it. I'm so happy to be back here. But yeah, go continue. Yeah, so I, I think I uh, mentioned this earlier today. I was actually recording another show. Well, not really a show, but just me ranting on Locker Room before the news about Steven Silas. I was really really upset about the Maury move and I I'm still am in some sort of um expect or aspects I you know I can definitely get some um Tillman's involvement with that um and you mean you don't like the you don't like the 95 five rule <laughs> you mean you don't like shut up and listen I what do know. you mean you don't like it Ah, we can we can talk about that in the moment, but I'm it's trying to be comedian genius. It's comedic genius. <laughs> like any time he goes on CNNBC, and he says we need a reopening coming. MK, MK, you just end up uh, looking at him just like, oh God, I can't believe this guy actually bought a franchise. Yeah. But you know, I can. But as much as I dislike him, there's also things that I also think all of this is not on his feet. I think there's there's a whole blame pie to put for the Rockets being in this weird situation. Mm -hmm. But uh, I agree with you. And I think Maury does have some, you know, fault in that. And I I think that's why the move over to the 76ers and him taking a president role, but at the same time, keeping Elton Brand as the GM is uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to fire him. It seems like they're going to keep, you know, that structure in place. It's I think just, he's going to get pushed out eventually, though. Yeah, I mean, he may it, do that in a season or two. But I, I think with Maury, um, especially early, early on, he wasn't a one to, um, you know, immediately try to push out everyone. He, right. you, know, you know, in fact, you know, Raphael Stone, who's been in part of the Rockets organization even before t- um, Maury 
became GM. Well, slightly before it was like a year or two. Before. No, I, I I'm not saying Maury will push him out. I think the organization will push. Uh, yeah, perhaps for Maury. Um, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, I I guess I feel a little bit more positive about that because they probably, if they really wanted to do that, they had the opportunity, you know, in fact, today or whenever they were making the decision, it sounds like based on reports from Shams from the mm-hmm. Athletic that um, Maury and the 76ers were in talks as soon as the announcement came that he was stepping down and we don't know how long even before then. I mean, they've been talking about getting Maury since, um, you know, before um, the trust, the process <laughs> started. So um, they have, he's been in their sort of um, eyes for years now. Um, and they had a perfect opportunity today to say like, hey, Elton Brand's going to step down and Maury is going to become, you know, president or GM or whatever mm-hmm. mixture. But it, it seems as though they're wanting to continue to have El- Elton Brand there. Um, and I'm actually pretty happy for them, you know, if I'm ignoring my Rockets feelings, <laughs> just right. because like, Elton Brand is going to get a ton of experience from a very experienced coach, especially a co- or not coach GM. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we can yeah. say coach as well because Doc was a former GM for a little bit, regardless of a how terrible one he was. Yeah, but he at least has some front office experience. You mean um, but, taking? You mean poaching all the Rockets players uh, because they beat yeah. them in a series? Well, that was actually Jerry West who um, was. No, not, I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the Jason. Oh, don't the don't you remember time. Josh Smith? Yeah, time. when Josh Smith went there. You don't remember? Yeah. No, and I remember got that traded now. Back. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, he definitely has had, and I guess the Clippers organization, which he was part of for so long, had a te- have had and still have a tendency to bring former Rockets players <laughs> under their right. wings. And who knows if they'll do the same thing in Philadelphia. We'll have to wait and see on that. But when it comes to the, you know, president of whatever that Maury will eventually have titled um he um Elton Brand for however long they keep him will get a ton of experience from a you know a GM who for years was sort of hamstrung um you know no pun intended with a really bad you know a a situation where you know both of the the former um, owner of the franchise, Les Alexander and Tillman Fertitta were unable slash unwilling to spend over the, you know, the um, salary cap, the apron. And as a result, he had to be, you know, very creative when it came to contracts and bringing in folks in ways that would keep him under that apron. Um, And the 76ers are in that exact spot right now. Um, So being able to, you know, forever long um, Elton Brand can to, you know, see how that works, that will help him whether he stays in the 76ers for a while or if he goes to another organization um, because of being forced out or whatever happens with him um, at the end. But I think that at least for now, I mean, of course this could change within a week or two because Maury's not officially a part of the organization, but 
Um, until then, the 76ers are probably going to be, you know, keeping Brand for a little bit and hopefully he gets to learn as much as possible before, you know, hopefully, <laughs> I, I hope for his sake he stays as long as possible because I hate, I would hate to see a black GM be, you know, Sarah's mostly fired for right. a reason, especially since he was only there for a year. That's the thing that's not, that would not be that I wouldn't be a fan of, but of course, this I mean, he was there. I think he was there for half a year. Cause remember yeah. he was, he, he was immediately promoted after Calandra was gone. Yeah. But um, Calangelo yeah. happened at the, the, the summer of 2019. So he's been there for a full year. Um, oh, it just yeah, feels yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think because of the, you know, hiatus with the league and everything like that, it feels like, it's been a lot less than that. I guess right. mathematically, if we're ex- excluding the three to four months that we are off, you know, um, handling what is still a extensive COVID, you know, 19 situation. Um, he has been there for, you know, more or less, you know, a little bit over half a season, but it's, it's really been a full year. Okay. That's good. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've heard him speak a lot on, um, I think it was Zach O's podcast mm-hmm. and he seems like a very intelligent man. It's just like what I said is like, when you're a hometown guy, you, you, you know, a lot more starts to ride. Mm-hmm. you start to get anxious about every decision, which is like part of what I hinted to with Tillman. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess like we're going to talk about the rocket side now. I, I feel like how we feel about Maury. Well, my position on Maury is conflicted. On one side, I really like the guy. And then on one side, I can't stand him. It's, you know, what you said is true. His career has been hamstrung and it's been hamstrung even before Tillman and Leslie Alexander's idea to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember when he first got there, he was told not to tank. Yep. He had to consistently win. And what ended up happening was that the Rockwoods were in a, a run of a mill team. Um, he constantly traded assets to get better because that's the only thing he could do. And for better or for worse, that kind of messed up how he was um, viewed in that industry. Because, um, yeah, we call it a league, but at the end of the day, it's still a job. There's a lot of people besides those 450 players. Mm-hmm. There's agents, there's coaches, there's families that are involved. There's a huge network of this type of stuff. And um, more kind of developed, you know, a bad... I don't want to say a habit, but also like a bad, like, you know, a controversial perception. And we have to remember that Maury, before he was working in the NBA, you know, he worked in the Celtics staff, which is why, like, I'm um, another reason why I'm, I'm happy for him and Doc to work together because they know each other. They're familiar. Mm-hmm. But he's also a guy from MIT who was doing a lot of Dana analysis. And, you know, when they're seeing this, fat overweight white guy come in and he's telling and preaching to people about analytics and saber metrics. It's kind of like, why does he get a job? You know? So that's probably gave him another chip on his shoulder. Mm. Um, but you know, this is, he, he's done a lot of good, but then on the other side, it's just like, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's very conflicted because like, I know people who say we think Daryl Morey is like in Daryl we trust, 
And then the very same people's like, I can't stand this man. All he wants us to do is shoot a bunch of threes, layups, and free throws. Like, where's the originality in that? You argue for efficiency, but efficiency doesn't win games. It helps you win games, but it's not the overall thing. And if you're Tillman, I don't like the man. You know, I really don't like the man. I think he's a typical country brunkin that just got money and is throwing it. He's throwing it on a wall until like things make sense. And that's effectively what he's doing with the Rockets. But if you're Tillman, right, and you're from Galveston, the closest team you watched was the Houston Rockets. So that's all you know. And before you even got the team, you were watching these Daryl Morey teams for, four, well, before you got there, it was like 12 years, right? Yep. And the teams that you were contending were losing the same exact way, which was like a ball of fire by shooting threes. When you now become the owner, you're like, okay, what can I do different? Well, I don't know anything. So I'm just going to sit back and watch. That was a year that we won 65 games. And we took Golden State to game seven. And we lost the same way that we usually lose by a ball of threes or sloppy defense or just being gassed. And I knew that the beginning of the end was near after 2019. I mean, I already knew 2018 just by his mannerisms when they introduced him that he was going to be a bozo. But in 2019, I realized the beginning of the end was happening because when we lost to Kevin, to the, to that team that didn't have Kevin Durant for two and a half, one and a half games. He said, I want a team that plays hard and plays within my image. A man who's, you know, a self-made billionaire in some aspects, right? Mm -hmm. You can't blame him feeling that way when your team is constantly losing the same way without any changes to things. Um, when people are saying more, Tillman should have paid Trevor Ariza 15 million for that one season for the sake of continuity. Here's the other side of that. What has Trevor Ariza done since then? For people that say he should have kept Luke Rashad, Luke Rashad hasn't played in almost three years. Effectively, there was nothing you can do about that. I mean, you could rewrite history. You could probably have traded Trevor Ariza, but no one knew what the value of Trevor Ariza would be on the trade market. Nobody could really assess that because at that point he was in, he's in his mid to late thirties. You know, he's not exceptional like Andre Godala, who's like a Swiss army knife. You know, he's a typical three and D guy with a lot of mileage. So I think the overall issue is, 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 is that, you know, if you want to say the genesis of where Houston got to this point is, um, is the Chris Paul trade. People like to say, oh, we traded for Russ. Russ is the reason for everything. And it's James Harden's fault for um, bringing Russ here and okaying it and, you know, giving, you know, flashing that idea and Tillman forcing it through. Okay. Russ and James Harden are very close friends, right? We all have close friends, right? 
this is basically what happened to Russ. Russ, when Paul George did that thing, what he did to get to the Clippers, Russ was a man on an island, and at one point he was going to be traded to anywhere. It could have been the Knicks or the Heat. And if we all know well, he probably would have been a Knick because they don't care about draft picks. They don't care about anything. And put it this way, if your friend, you know your friend is going to be out of a job, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to stand back and watch your friend out of a job if it's going to cost you a coworker that you're cool with, but not too close with, you don't really care for him? Mm-hmm. You'll probably choose your best friend. And you can't blame somebody like Tillman because Tillman's looking at it like, hey, at least Russ plays hard. At least Russ played better than Chris Paul last season. Can't say that. Even Bill Simmons used to, I used to listen to Bill Simmons' podcast when I used to work at, uh, at a retail store in the morning. He said, you know, outside of that one season where Harden gained weight from th- that ankle injury over the summer, mm-hmm. James Harden looks like a brick house. Like he looks like an action movie star. And I mean, he may look chubby, but the man is 6'5", 225 pounds. Mm. That's almost like wide receiver, tight end body. Like the guy could play football legitimately. And he looks, you know, he's very physique and every year he gets better. But he said, Chris Paul, when he was on the Clippers, never really trained. He trained during the regular season. Mm. He played himself into shape, which makes sense why throughout Chris Paul's career, every time they got into the playoffs, he just effectively died by some injury. Mm-hmm. And that hamstring injury was the one thing. And um, we didn't know that Chris Paul would be what he is now. But the thing is, even though Chris Paul is back to somewhat normal, he still has issues. He can't blow by centers on isolations. He still can't blow by a lot of players. He still has to shoot over them, which you don't want to bank on as a guy who's six feet tall. Mm -hmm. And there was times in Oklahoma City team that he looked like Eric Snow because of the fact that because of his health in terms of like he's not what he was in 2017, he's had to rely on on Gallinari, Shea Galgis-Alexander, and... um, why am I always forgetting the guy with the blonde patch? Um, Dennis Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the analytics, that, that, those three, that three backcourt, that backcourt of three of them was one of the highest ranked uh, uh, teams, you know, one of the highest ranked lineups. In the NBA. According to, yeah, yeah according to not reading. Yeah. So he was effectively just a general, you know, like a, a playmaker. He was just mm. there to just get the ball going. So, I mean, my whole thing is just like all of it is just a, a cycle. If if Maury had probably, I always said that Maury needed somebody like a basketball guy there mm. to help him leverage his thoughts. Not not Mike D'Antoni, who him and Mike D'Antoni took you know, variance to the extreme. Mm. And I don't blame Tillman in some way because he almost took variance to extreme again. He was going to hire Jeff Van Gundy. Because if you're somebody like Maury and you're always talking about Harden's uh, isolation averages so great and so efficient, 
it generates so much we don't have to do anything it, and he gets double teamed it equals open three-point shots why would you need much offensive very you know offensive changes you don't need much you're going to want to play stout defense and help the variance works and if you notice Maury's tenure he's cared about defense a lot the Mikhail year when we went went to the western conference final we were second in defense the year that um we got Chris Paul. We were, um, what was it, seventh in defense or was it fifth? One of the yeah, two. we were top um, five for sure. And now with small ball, we were meh in the season, but that was because of the shaky lineups. But in the playoffs, we were top three. Mm. And we shot tons of threes in each year that we were contending. So it would make sense. But then you have to ask yourself, how many times can you play stout defense running up and down and then just pin yourself to corners or spots on the floor and shoot threes? Every time you shoot a three, you miss, you get tired, you, you get deflated, then you get tired, you got to run back, play hard defense. You're switching small ball. It, it was a mess. And um, I don't know. I'm sorry that I'm just rambling. It's just, <laughs> no it's just a it's just a lot to really take in. I just, like I spoke to my cousin who's a Dallas fan. I, he asked me, what do I think before all of this unraveled? Mm. I told him, uh, Tillman says he wants to, uh, he wants a culture change. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, how is that going to happen? I said, I don't know how that's going to happen without Daryl Morey, without Daryl Morey being fired. Uh, Rockets fans are typically, you know, we're very, um, we're, we're a very uh, interesting bunch of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're also very smart because of watching Daryl Moore for 14 years made you realize things like tax apron, uh, the value of picks, the, uh, how to use poison pill contracts, uh, salary cap all this mumbo jumbo that you shouldn't care about, right? That the average fan does not know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told him, how are we going to change culture when the guy has been a constant and he just says, shoot threes, layups, and free throws? Darren Moore, before he came there was, no, Mike D'Antoni before he went there was six seconds and less and did a lot of the things that we're hyped about Salis is going to do. But, you know, just not as fast. Salis doesn't do things just as fast. You know, but more, he got there and immediately James Harden, who was a prolific uh, mid-range jump shooter, you know, who basically in 15-16 was shooting like 20% of his offense came from the mid-range. Now it's at 2%. Mm-hmm. They basically rubbed it off of him. So, um, I don't know. Is this a lot? I, I, is this too much? I'm sorry for my rambling. I just think that, I just think personally, like, this was needed for both sides. There's a clean break. Now you can realize if Harden is truly a choker if, because he doesn't want to take open mid-range jump shots. Mm-hmm. You can f- figure out, like, okay, who's really talented and who's not. Because Moriball was designed to help mitigate the fact that we didn't have enough talent when we didn't have star players. Mm. It just was so good that it ended up being used now as a contending team and we never tweaked it. Mm-hmm. 
So pretty much, I just think we just, I think we just need to change. That's what I effectively think. I'm sorry that I talk a lot. Um, no problem at all. And there's a lot to um, unpack there, but unfortunately we're sort of running out of time. So I'm not going to say too much. Um, I, I think that uh, I would say as a coup, the one thing I would um, quickly say is that one, Maury technically wasn't fired. He was like, you know, he said that he left on his own accord and according to a ton of reports that sort of confirm has been confirmed. So we don't know how, you know, ultimately the relationship between the Rockets and, you know, Maury ended besides, you know, what has been said in you know, reports, maybe in 20 years, there will be some sort of novel or um, autobiography <laughs> that Maury admits what actually happened. Um, but I, I think it does make sense, though, that the tenure with Maury was going to end sooner than later. Um, sure. I was thinking in the next year or two. Um, but um, having it end sooner than that probably makes logical sense that his tenure in the Rockets was, you know, sort of going towards the end of it and having a change of philosophy. However, that goes when it comes to Maury was and um, and the Rockets in general is probably a potential good thing. But I think that ultimately lands on Tillman to actually do a few things. And we didn't talk about that. I don't want to get into that much further. Than that. I don't have much hope for him, yeah. really. I, I feel like, I guess what I wanted to say was that the the fund the fund the the foundation of the Houston Rockets franchise because of Les was built on chocolate, and Harden was the closest thing to solid foundation. Once he's gone, it, the stack of cards will you know fall all over the place. Yeah, and, and I think you know, are going back to Silas. I I think at least for the next year or two, um, you know until Harden probably leaves unless, you know, I hope to goodness or whatever sort of deity or lack thereof that you um, folks may believe in that, you know, the Rockets maybe win a championship because I think Harden um, deserves that at the very least. But I think that bringing in Silas um, means that they're going to, you know, go, they're going to use similar sort of that foundation that you mentioned, but just tweak it a little bit and that could help Harden out in the long run with actually right. wanting to stay in Houston. So that's the part that I'm excited about. But um, exactly. like I said, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But like I said, we're out of time. But before we end it, I just want to give you a few moments to plug your Twitter or whatever platforms that you want to plug. Okay, guys. Um, my Twitter is made in HTX underscore 91. I don't really tweet much, but you know, if you want to follow me, great. <laughs> uh, but when I do tweet, I tweet a lot about basketball, fashion, sneakers, anime, and uh, music. You know, I, I like a lot of things, and um, I think I'm interesting. So if if you think I'm interesting from this podcast, you can follow me. Yeah, Asuku, you're definitely a good follow, and thank you so much for being on the show this evening. Um, I definitely appreciate it, and I hope that we'll have another discussion, and maybe not during a major breaking news day. 
And that's going to do it for today's episode. I want to thank Ezeku so much for being on the show. You can find him on Twitter at madeinhtx underscore 91. And I want to also thank you all for listening to this extra long episode. We typically go for about 30 minutes, but we didn't have a show on Monday. So a little bit of extra time won't hurt anything in the long run. If you're new to the show or if you're interested in hearing our content in the future, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, if you appreciate the consistent digital podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast, covering your Houston Rockets.